everyone, and welcome to episode 122 on Justin the Food Entrepreneur's podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. Uh, that's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O for anyone out there. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Uh, we have a kind of a fun episode today. But before we get into that, uh, please share what we're doing. We're doing this for free. The entrepreneurs who come on here are doing it for free. Please go to our podcast pages at Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Leave comments for us. Tell us what you think about the podcast. Please give us feedback. Send us questions if you want questions. And please continue to share what we're doing with your friends and family because we want to give back and these entrepreneurs that are on the podcast deserve your recognition. So in light of that, this podcast, we have J.R. Tal from the Goat Beef Jerky back on the show. If you guys remember, he was on episode number eight, and I'll, I'll introduce him in a second. But one of the things we're doing right now as we release this podcast is we've switched to a record release. So we're going to record release the same day versus delaying like we did in the first season. But the big thing that we're going to do is we're going to be doing giveaways for the entrepreneurs who come on the podcast that send us stuff because they send us stuff. We do photos and things like that to help with promotion. But instead of me trying to eat it all, which I've failed at miserably, we are going to give it all away to you guys. So here's how you get it. You got to share an episode with a friend You have to write a comment on our page, uh, either iTunes, Google Play, or uh, Spotify are the main ones, but we go through other ones if you want to make comments on those. And you have to send a message to Justin at thefoodentrepreneurs.com with a photo of your comment so we know you did it. Um, And then obviously like that entrepreneur's page. So for example, you want to go on Instagram and like the Goat Beef Jerky Co., so, um, Jr., how are you doing today? Man, you know me. I'm always doing better than I deserve. I, I woke up today. Uh, I, I mean, I want to complain, but I, you know, really know that I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> put, I try to keep things in perspective. <laughs> how, how's, uh, how's things going for you, man? Things are great, and I... Um... I think one of the cool things that we've we've talked about a lot, and uh, JR and I have been in touch. Again, he was on episode eight, so that was back in February of this year. So I've seen the business grow and, and see how things are going for you, um, and I'm doing pretty good. And but I really am interested in you know how has the business been doing? You know what are some of the things that you've learned? I know I'm asking a massive question here, but since February, since you you were in your early stages back then and just found a warehouse and you were dealing with signage issues and things like that. So where have you come from then? Wow, you know we've <clears throat> since then we've kind of realized that. You know, I I gotta I gotta say this first. You know, we started off as in I I had a couple of really great beef jerky recipes. As in, there's nothing out there like it. Um, we win our our beef jerky wins a blind taste test against anything every time. Put pick a brand, I promise you, our beef jerky will win. Um, so that's where I started. Like a lot of confidence, I guess, in something that I just wasn't a culinary expert or in any way. I just kind of started throwing things together that looked like they worked out in my mind. And 
people loved it. And then I'm kind of at a point in my life, I'm like, man, do I want to work for somebody else the rest of my life? Or do I want to just kind of risk it all and go for it and see what happens? Now, obviously, that's the one I went for. I had too many very, very wealthy, uh, wise I don't want to say old men, I'll say older people that said, you know, you're, you're never going to get rich or, or do anything important for the world working for somebody else. I don't know that that was completely true, but it, it, it sure did strike a chord, you know? And I thought, man, I want to do important stuff. <laughs> and so I went for it without a really great plan. Um, so a lot of our story is just kind of, bouncing around and trying to figure things out as we go. Uh, you know, when I first got started, I was, I thought, man, I'm just going to direct to consumer. That's the best profit margins. Uh, we're just going to go that route and we're going to make so much money and go in, you know, that's the way we're going to go. Yeah. Well, there's a ton of money you got to spend on marketing and advertising and things like that to, to hit that direct to consumer market and and really capitalize on that so you know we're we're growing at a good pace for a company that didn't spend any money on marketing and advertising and um we got approached by a local university they're like hey you know we love your brand and we've actually ordered some of your product to give it a try, and it's pretty phenomenal. Would you guys, uh, you guys, interested in doing some kind of a partnership? And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I don't know. Come, come to my office and let's talk about it. So, fast forward, skip all the details. I, I really liked what they had to say, and I thought, what the heck, we'll go for it. Well, the next thing you know, they're they're kind of doing some. Um, social media, LinkedIn, you know, posts and things like that saying, Hey, we partnered with the goat, check them out, things like that. And then I get a call from a, a fairly large retailer. Um, they're very large in Oklahoma and they, they actually have, uh, they have a, a several brands, if you will, across the nation. And, so uh, as far as Oklahoma is concerned, they're like, hey, we we heard about you guys through our partnership with this university. Um, they actually gave us samples. We'd like to talk to you about selling your product in our stores. Oh, fantastic. You know, this is great. You guys came to me. This is wonderful. You know, I mean, it's everybody's dream. Somebody really big coming to you saying, hey, we heard about you. We want to sell your product. So um we did that, met with them, um, not knowing any better. I gave them a really great price. Uh, I didn't know they're, they're a grocery store, by the way, uh, grocery stores operate on a whole different margin than other retail places operate on. Uh, so, you know, I know they loved our stuff enough to reach out to us, but at the same time, if there was ever a doubt, I sealed the deal by giving them, really, really good margins, <laughs> better than I should have. But, you know, it, it worked because it really helped us to grow the brand even more. Um, as a matter of fact, in one month's time, we our sales with them, uh, or I guess I should say their sales, because they 
periodically will send me a sales report <clears throat> and their sales grew uh, 300% in 30 days time, which is, you know, we're not paying for any advertising with them. And, and, you know, up until lately, we haven't spent any money on marketing and advertising. Uh, we did, we did a few social media things to uh, try to, boost some sales uh online sales but yeah 300 percent in 34 days time that that's pretty incredible and it's really it was really just by word of mouth it was a little slow at first and then people buy it try it tell their friends about it and it, you know it's just a snowball effect um so Backing up, I said our, our vision was going to be direct to consumer, just dominate that. Well, now we found ourselves in the one thing I was trying to stay away from, which was grocery stores. <laughs> Oddly enough, isn't that isn't that funny? Like the, I thought, you know, people ask me, where are you going to sell it? I was like, you know, convenience stores, direct to consumer. We want to do Amazon, you know, things like that. But um, I don't I don't know that I'm all that interested in getting in the grocery store market because people go to the grocery store, they have their grocery list. That's what they, they go and get what they're there for and they leave. But yet turns out two of our bigger retail partners are grocery stores and they turn a lot of product. Well, and I, want, of- I want to pause you right there just for one second, JR, because one of the things that uh, in my mind, like, okay, beef jerky, it's, a four billion dollar a year industry, roughly, uh, and grows at is growing at a rapid rate because of, you know, what's going on in the snack food and sort of leaning healthier. Though we can talk about the health of beef jerky in a second, and what you're doing with your product. But traditionally, if you would have came to me and said, "I'm starting a beef jerky," I would have been like, "Okay." And I think your beef jerky is the greatest of all time. Um, I've tried some others, and there's some others that are really good as well, um, like yours, but they're not the ones that are mainstream. You know, there's it's controlled, I would say, probably 50% plus of the market is controlled by one company who has a bunch of sub-brands underneath it in the grocery stores. And I would have been like, okay, you need to disrupt them. You know, you're right. You need to go direct to consumer because how are you ever going to battle them? You don't have the marketing dollars. You don't have the shelf space. You don't have the whatever. But what has actually happened weirdly is in your pursuit to go directly to the consumer, it ended up in a grocery store and it ended up in the grocery store's hands. And now it's on a grocery store shelf. And, um, and margin, you know, I want to make a little comment that like that in the food business, it's a funny thing because you want to make money and you want to hold the premium of your brand. And because you do have a high quality beef jerky, but the other problem is, is you can't build a brand unless it's out there for lack of a better term being put in people's mouths. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, so I just want to let the audience know about that. Like there's a thing that goes on and everyone thinks we're in the digital age and we need to go direct to consumers, but their bricks and mortar still matter a lot in food and beverage. I mean, there's no other way to really get the consumers to try your product unless you physically in some way are in a place to put it literally into their mouth. Or you have copious amounts of dollars to throw at marketing that people want to try it because you have a really great campaign, a national campaign that 
that hits people in such a way that they're like, oh, man, I want to try that. They've got a really great commercial. I mean, you know, obviously they don't consume it in that way, but there's something visually appealing in in their national advertisement that says, I'm going to try this. I mean, geez, look at Bang Energy. I mean, they were nobody. (laughs) They, 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 gee, I can't imagine the hundreds of millions of dollars Jack has spent on marketing. That's, and he has a great product. I mean, I, 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 uh, I have friends that are, they, they live in the fitness world and they're, you know, they, they stand by the bang energy product, you know, but it started with just a phenomenal marketing plan and he had the dollars to throw at it. I know that. I mean, they're everywhere now. I was, um, I was actually talking to a guy, we were just in Los Angeles and I saw the truck come deliver all of it. And I drink monster. That's my drink. I shouldn't drink it. It goes well against my health stuff, but it's, I, that's, that's my go-to when I am drinking energy drinks when and if. And so I was curious, I'm like, how do these compare to monster? He's like, well, you know, Red Bull used to be our seller and then monster sort of took that shelf space. But now they can't keep them on, on the shelf. There's this whole twist where it's not only an energy drink, but it has the creatine and the BCAAs, yeah. which is blockchain amino acids for anyone that wants to know. I'm surprised I got that right. And, um, <laughs> but it's just, but there's a difference in it. And I want, I'm going to just tie it right to your beef jerky and the difference in your beef jerky. One, the moisture levels, like it's just better. But two is um, that makes it the greatest of all time is less sugar, less salt, and you let the flavor do the work, not not yeah. the salt, not the sugar. It's actually the flavor profile that does the work in the jerky. Couldn't could, uh, yeah, you, that's that's right, and th- and that's what I, I don't guess. You know. F- I would say the average consumer doesn't know this. And I, to be honest with you, I didn't know this when I was making beef jerky as a hobby. You know, I just came up with recipes that you just play with it, play with it until you get something like, man, I love this. If I love this, other people will love it. Unless you're that person that has a ugly baby and you're clueless that you have an ugly baby, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so people, you know, you make your stuff and give it to people. They'll tell them you made it. And they're like, this is really good. This is amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, I'm sorry, I got distracted for a second. But so I stuck with my recipes and I presented them to the company that manufactures our beef jerky for us. And they say, okay, cool. We'll, you know, you sign this, we'll sign this. Let's make your jerky. They make my jerky and they say, Hey, we've got samples ready for you, but we want to let you know up front, your yields are very low. Um, your sugar and salt are, they're, they're a lot lower than pretty much everything out there. And that's, that drastically affects your batch yield. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Not a clue. I had no clue what they meant. (laughs) So (laughs) what that means is, let's say, pick your, uh, pick a brand that's owning this market right now, the gorilla, right? They, let's say they start with 10 pounds of beef, raw beef, and they, they do their marinades and things to it. And then after they 
go through the, their process of making, turning it into beef jerky, they end up with around eight and a half, possibly nine pounds of beef jerky, starting from 10 pounds of beef. Well, when we start with 10 pounds of raw beef with our marinades and things and all that, after you go through the process, we end up with, you know, at best five pounds of beef jerky. Well, that's, that's huge. And, and I had no idea that our recipes, you know, the ingredients in our recipes would affect the, our margins basically in that way. And it, that's huge. I mean, what's the, what's the price per pound of beef right now? And you really want your finished product to be as close to what it weighed at the starting product. They, you know, and they, they kind of came to us with those concerns. And I, I was like, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable changing my recipe to make a couple of extra bucks. We're not, we're not that brand. You're not going to find us at the discount food mart type thing. Um, if that's what it takes for us to be successful, then I, I would rather just not, I'd rather just stay on a small scale and, and do what we can to get by. But, you know, that's, that's, that was the case a year ago. Now everyone is so, uh, cognitive of what they're putting in their mouth um not everyone but the majority of people are paying attention to what they're eating rightfully so i mean geez justin you could probably tell horror stories about (laughs) what the what the dark side of the food industry looks like and it, it would probably terrify the nation if they knew i mean i know more now than i ever knew before just as a guy that had a hobby, you know, and then I come into this, I'm like finding out more and more on a daily basis of how terrible the food industry is and the things that people will do to the food that you eat. And Justin, I I bet you have a number for it. Well, I would say this, this is how I'm going to quantify it for everyone. Normally, I would say if something like this came up, oh, that requires a whole different podcast episode. But I would really (laughs) say that requires a whole different podcast show because I need seasons upon seasons because you are correct. We, um, and I really want to emphasize too many times we compromise our products to hit price points or better yields or things like that. And it often doesn't end up at the product we've initially started with i'll give you an example a lot of companies become big and they get bought and the original owner innovator entrepreneur gets out of the business then the company that buys them tries to streamline their product because they love the brand love the product but they want to do it cheaper but then after years and years and years of streamlining economizing minimizing products so it becomes cheaper so they can increase their margins the product doesn't much look or taste like the original product anymore. And it often, they start decreasing in sales and they're like, oh my God, why did we decrease sales? Well, here's the answer for anyone out there who's listening in that runs into this in the business. Go back to the basics. Go back to the original product and the formula for the original product because that is what's successful. And for you, I think it's great what you did because they wanted to push you to be like every other beef jerky. 
and a lot of co-packers do that and I don't understand it. Why push them to be, I could see streamlining packaging. I could see, okay, we might need to add this natural preservative because you need more shelf life because you could lose money. But if it doesn't taste the same, it doesn't have the same texture, it's not the goal you're trying to do, don't let someone convince you out of what's true to you. Because people do that, and I think this is a good lesson right here. And yes, there are horror stories, and people (laughs) do need to read labels. Like, I too emphasize that. Read the frickin' label on the box or the package or whatever if it's not a fresh product. Yeah, and, you know, it's crazy. I had a... uh... I'll, I'll leave their name out of it. I had a uh, monthly subscription company reach out to us last week. They're like, man, we love your brand. We love your product. We've, we've heard so many great things about it. Um, we'd love to add you to our lineup. You know, what kind of bulk pricing can we get? Blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, you know, back and forth a what kind of quantities, you know, I mean, quantities dictate everything, right? I mean, you, you, if they're going to buy a million units, then it's okay to, to get 20, 25% margins on it. Right. But anyway, the price I quoted them, they came back and said, and it was a, it was a great price. Really. Um, they said, well, man as much as we would love to add the goat because it has such a big following right now we just can't we you you're way out your way uh your price is way out of line for what we're normally paying and um i said you know just i appreciate your honesty but if you don't mind telling me um what do you guys generally pay ballpark you don't have to nail it down what do you generally pay for the same size package with the other brands you guys add into your monthly subscription. And the price they gave me was significantly less than what I pay. (laughs) You know, I, I, like I said, I hired a co-packer to make my jerky for me. Their price was drastically less than what I pay. And I mean, it's easy math. It's not like it's, you could throw out something random and, they could fake you out or whatever you want to call. I mean, you can look at the price of beef on a national level, wholesale price of beef. Like if just, if Justin was to go and buy beef on the market, you know what it costs per pound. And there, you know, there's variances on processing and this and that, whatever, but the price of beef per pound. And then you look at what these people are paying for a four ounce package. That's, that there there's only one thing that can be going on and that people are a either buying imported beef from another country, which is as a good friend of mine has said before, uh, nutritionally bankrupt by the time it lands in the U S <laughs> or <laughs> their, their, um, nutritional panel on their packaging is just absurd or, they don't put a nutritional panel on their packaging and, you know, reference the consumer back to their website, which no one does. No one's going to do that. You're not going to stand in quick trip and say, man, I really want some of this. Let me Google. Let me go to their website and look up what's in their uh, packaging before I buy it. Right. 
like it's it's a crazy dirty trick that unfortunately that that's that's the direction things are have been going is play a shell game with the consumer we'll do what we can to get our money and then they eat garbage which is gonna add to some sort of disease you know diabetes whatever it is you know it's a it really is i'm gonna say this it's a damn shame that's the direction it's going um hopefully the goat can break that up we're we're kind of we got a lot of things pointed in that direction to where we can as you said before upset this industry we we have a lot of irons in the fire that will not just disrupt it, but flip it on its head. Well, and I think the thing is, is you want to do something different. If you're going to do what everyone else does, there's a lot of imitators who do what everyone else does or what the successful guys do. And that's an imitation. That's not a unique product that's genuine to you. And I want to touch upon something a little bit because we look at this at food service all partners all the time. At Food Service Partners, we do a lot of research research and development with our clients to hit certain price points and things like that. But if you look at a lot of people that are out there, they cut corners. They cut the wrong corners. Like the answer is not to add more sugar and salt to your product. The answer may be how can we get more yield out of the beef? Or maybe we need to use a different oven to make to keep the moisture in there. And that's not conning anyone. There's just as much nutritional value in the water in the beef than there is not in the water of beef. And beef jerky still needs to be dried somewhat, but there's ways to keep it more flavorful and less hard, which gives it more nutritional value also. And so there's things like that, like taste better, texture better. How can we tweak the recipe? Sometimes a little bit of salt when you blow out a recipe actually goes a long way. It doesn't actually proportion out the way you would think it was. You know, everyone has their kitchen, and yeah, it's great if I make one and I make 16 and I blow out the salt the same way. But once you start going into gallons upon gallons of a product, you need less salt to get the same result in the taste. And I don't know why that is, but it just, there's, I'm not a chemistry person, but I can tell you from taste that is what happens. And we've blown out recipes for clients, and their, their stuff all of a sudden turns out way too salty, particularly eggs. And I don't know why. But it just happens. Putting too, more and more cheese in exponentially makes things more saltier versus you know measuring it. So there's finding the right partners and there's finding the partners that aren't willing to cut corners. And that's nothing against your current manufacturer. It's just, well, it is, I guess. But it's more of... Uh, it is what it is. It I is mean, what it is. People want to cut yeah. corners and take the easy way and tell you just to do it like everyone else versus saying, hey, let's work on this. Let's figure out how to get your yield better. We want to get the same flavor profile out of your product, but how can we do that in a better way with the cuts of meat that you want to do? And that whole art in food and co-packing and manufacturing of food is gone. Like, and I mean, I say it's gone because I can't tell you how many people come to food service partners because we won't change it. And do we develop products to hit certain price points and adjust ingredient levels and recipes? Absolutely. But we do it in a way that doesn't change the integrity or the flavor of the product. And we do it with the customer hand in hand. We just don't take it upon ourselves to do it. And most of that R&D, other than the cost of the food here and there, 
uh, depending on the client. We do for free. We volunteer all of our time for free. Why? Because we want to give the best product out there to the consumers because we don't want trash going into people's mouths. And that, that, yeah, you that, that's a, right. How can you not? You know, there's I, I'm s- suddenly finding myself a little more passionate about these these things than I than I ever thought I would be. But there's certain man, I don't want to uh, stop me at any point or correct me because I'm not good at being politically correct. Um, there's certain economic um, regions of the nation that just can't afford premium or high quality products that and I would say our brand is that you know we're not a there's a retailer that's probably one of the largest retailers in the United States I don't know that our brand would fit in their retail segment because we're not we're not your discount brand because I'm not I'm not going to produce a product that will add to someone's cellulitis or whatever, you know, I just, I have to sleep at night and still we're small enough to that, that we have a moral compass. I guess we, we fly under my moral compass, but the brand flies under my moral compass, but there's ways that we, you know, we could buy a, we could buy several containers of beef from South America that are, that cut our costs in half, you know? And, but what are you getting? I mean, how much nutrition's left in that beef by the time it gets to the United States? What, how, how well is that beef regulated in South America or whatever country it was? It certainly wasn't regulated the same that it is in the United States all of those things go into, you know, the consumer's price point. And if, ah, man, I'm sorry. I, I'm getting a little distracted because I just recently watched, um, uh, un, is it natural selection or unnatural selection? I've watched a couple of episodes of that. Uh, yeah, on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet, but Deborah and I were talking about watching that as well. You should. Because if you've ever want to put yourself in a um, internal debate, like I'm still right now, I'm I'm a ping pong ball. My thoughts on that, the the concept behind that, are are just back and forth. Because initially, basically, what it is is there you people have the ability right now to do some. Um, DIY gene modification. There's a, there's a technology out there called CRISPR that you can, it's kind of cut and paste genome therapy. And so you want to grow bigger muscles and not have to put in the work. You can basically modify that one character, character of your um, genome code and you modify that with a bacteria and then inject yourself with it on, you know, whatever. I, I didn't watch it close enough to give everyone great details on it. But thinking about that, I'm holy crap, this is the worst thing 
this is this should not be available to the general public, you know? And then, you know, you skip forward to the next episode and there's people that have um, SMA, which is uh, spinal, I, I do apologize, I, I'm sorry, Justin knows me well enough to know I don't, I don't remember things like this very well. It's a genetic disease that essentially paralyzes, um, it, it, you're paralyzed physically, but mentally you're still there. So when you put it into perspective like that, that there's a way to modify your DNA and genes to correct these things, which is, it, it is a genetic disease. I, I start thinking about what would I do if my son had something, you know, something at all that we could tap into this uh, DIY gene therapy, right? Uh, now, all of a sudden, based on I moved my line in the sand, didn't I? <laughs> does that does that make sense? Like first episode, I'm thinking this is bullshit. This should not be available to anybody second episode i just completely i mean i put myself in that situation because my son means more to me than than my life i mean there's nothing i would i wouldn't do for my son he's he's an incredible human being and if he were to be stricken with an illness that would require me to do things i would never do i would do them to to make him better so that there's a chance that he can make the world a better place or whatever And and the thing is, there are commercial products available that will um, help uh, remedy or help this 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 disease. But no shit, Justin. The first dose of this uh, cure, if you will, is seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> the and then after the first dose, it is a $350,000 a year upkeep. Here's the best part. This is, this is where I get all jacked up about it. The research that has gone into this gene therapy to find this cure for this terrible disease was funded by taxpayer dollars. <laughs> So, so now it's, it's terrible, right? Like I, I started off watching the episode, watching the series and I'm only on episode two, two and a half, right? Started off thinking, this is bullshit. These people are idiots. This needs to be shut down. People do not need to be, your average person does not need to be able to have the means to modify genes, DNA in any way. I mean, we all have social media. Everybody's looked at their Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and read somebody's something and thought, how the hell are you allowed to put this information out to the world? (laughs) And so that, you know, I look at it that way, that people are allowed, they have the ability to modify genes of anything and you know, it's currently not illegal for them to do that. And then the next episode, you see that 
there are there's a uh, you know a terrible disease with a cure that starts off at seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and then it's a an additional three hundred and fifty thousand dollars per year. Oh, and by the way, it was developed using our taxpayer dollars. So your line in the sand gets moved based on what's convenient for you, right? <laughs> I, well, and I, I think that's what happened in food. Basically, we genetically modified f- food. We genetically modified f- food specifically because we wanted more yield in our crops and we thought with more yield in our crops more yield in our animals there'd be less people that went on hungry and food would be cheaper however what's really happened is we still have the same amount of people being hungry you know maybe it's slightly less and maybe we've curved it in in more fortunate countries but we've certainly created the opposite problem in foreign countries because now they don't have the tools to grow plants and products and stuff naturally so instead of investing in how to grow food naturally in their environments we invested in how to grow food better in the better environment so you didn't really solve a world problem on a global scale and you know maybe you could look across the globe and say yes there's less people starving but i would argue while people aren't starving we have really nutritionally bankrupted everyone so while we're not hungry we're definitely not healthy and so yeah, that's the whole a- thing here is we may be able to fix this i may be able to put something in my body that makes me stronger and more muscle but now i didn't have to put in the effort to go be stronger so what does that do to me mentally as a human being when it's given not earned and i think that's part of i mean that's my moral compass on all of it is how, what does it affect our productivity as human beings because what we've done with genetically modifying and all that. I'm not saying there's not benefits, but what I am saying is it's created less jobs because things are more efficient and while machineries and everything, and we want to do those things. Well, if I have more food to feed people, but the people can't afford it now because they don't have jobs, I really didn't freaking keep anyone from starving because they can't afford the food I'm producing. And now we throw away so much food and especially in the United States, that it didn't really go. All we're doing is producing more to throw away. So I think it's the same thing. Yes, if someone's dying or whatever, you know, we have, you know, whether you agree with them or not, if someone's starving, they have options or welfare programs and there's job training programs to retrain you in jobs so you can go back in the workforce to make money. So that becomes it on a human level. But um, I think part of the problem is that we don't know. And this is the whole thing. We don't have any answers and we don't know the impact. And, you know, we often talk about social media and what is it doing? Well, it's given power back to the people. If you want to use it for business and economics, we're getting back to locally, local businesses. We're being able to promote local businesses and promote local farms and things like that through social media. So it's a gift there. What's the flip side of social media? Well, our kids don't play outside anymore. They're losing their ability to be creative in the traditional way where they go outside and build forts and figure out how to solve problems, you know? Yeah. You know, and it makes me happy that I still see kids having lemonade stands, honestly, on the side of the road here (laughs) in Colorado. Like, they're charging 25 cents. I give them $2, which is not a great example, but I'm like, you need to keep this up. Like, this develop the entrepreneur attitude or the problem solving or, or whatever and create that thing, but... It is a line in the sand. If it were my kid 
or my stepdaughter's, I'd spend every cent I have trying to fix it. You know, yeah, something absolutely. bad. And, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've watched family members do that for their children and things like that. You don't know what you do. And so it is where the line starts getting blurred and there is no right answer. I don't think, but I will tell you There's when it not. comes to food, um, you know, I think where we cross the line is that we need to know where it's coming from. And that's the same issue with the $750,000 for a cure. It's great that they're secure, but I need to know where it's coming from. You know, I need to go back to the source and understanding what it is before I put that into my kid's body. And this food's the same way. Like, my moral compass may be different than the person's down the street, but it still needs to fit into my moral and ethics on what I want and, and what I'm willing to pay for. And so... You know, it's got to make sense, and human life obviously is very important. But I find it interesting that it's not important enough for people to, you know, and I suffer for this. Sometimes I buy crap. I haven't done it in, in since June because I'm now on the 75-day hard, which is a whole other conversation. But it's... <laughs> um, but it is like if I want my kids to be healthy and I'm willing to spend $750,000 on them to get a cure, why am I not willing to go to the grocery store and spend a little bit more on food or a better beef jerky or a better all-natural food source that really is what we put into our body and determines our health? You know, that one is the real moral dilemma for me because I'm like, you would willing, you take your kid to the hospital, you're willing to spend as much money as you want on insurance and going to the hospital to make sure they're okay. But when we go down to the basics, the very basics, the exercise, the, the, the way we consume yes. food, we're, we're, and we are bankrupt morally on that. And we were like, oh, is that really moral and ethics? Yes, it's the betterment of the people in our lives. And we're setting examples for our kids for the future. And if you don't teach them those basics of health and nutrition and exercise, you're doing them an injustice for the rest of their life. You know, and it goes way beyond that. And that's my hardship. And that goes back to when companies like the GOAT, and I'll use you guys as an example, want that higher quality beef want the higher quality ingredients going into their product and it makes it more expensive. When someone comes to you and says, oh, that doesn't hit the price point in my grocery store, I want to say to that person, well, you obviously don't care about your fucking customers in your grocery store because yeah. you don't fucking give a shit. How about you yeah. try to figure out how to market a better product to them and see what they're willing to pay for, not tell me it doesn't fit into your price point. If, and it really just drives... A wedge into me. I get it, your margins, and I get it, you need to be profitable as a business, and your obligation is to employees and making sure they have food on the table, but your obligation is also to your customers as stakeholders in your business to give them a better fucking product. And yeah. it blows my mind. Spend the money. How about take the time? How about figure out how to make the same type of margin off a higher price product? There's that. How about sell more of it because it's better for you? How about that it may taste better, it's better for you? There's a thousand different ways to spin the thing to get the volumes up versus just saying, oh, well, it doesn't meet our price point. And I'm just like, you lazy piece of shit. That is the <laughs> laziest answer I've ever heard in my life. How about you go to work and do your job for what you get paid for and support your customers and... I'm all wound up. But that's the truth for me. Like, it winds me up so much and it's why... 
more and more I like the direct-to-consumer. I don't, you know, the grocery store model, I think, is important, like I said, in having bricks and mortars. But when someone's, like, not on board and starts arguing over price, they they are never going to support your product in the overall vision of it and understanding of putting a better product out there anyway, which is always frustrating for me because they just see it from the dollars. And if you just see something from the dollars, you're not really doing any any service to anyone. And while your job may be engaged on how much money you bring in, it's still nonsense. And companies out there that are doing it, uh, it's short-sighted because we are back in an industry, and I'm going to say this, we are back in an industry where it's not only about solving problems for people and providing solutions, but it's also about providing heart and care for those people beyond saving them money. And... That's where our economy is going. That's where the people are going. That's where the next generation is. They, they want to trust you. And there's a reason they don't trust us because just like that conversation, it's all about price. It's not about what we're we've really putting into our body. Of, yeah, we've given them plenty of reason not to trust us, right? And to highlight what you just said, there's – in my opinion – it all boils down to accountability, which is something, unfortunately, the United States has is teaching um, us to sidestep, right? Like, there's there's brands of food out there that are just completely they're. Uh, we keep saying this nutritionally bankrupt, but it it's really a thing. Like, it's not just some cool catchphrase boots on the ground or, you know, whatever, pick your fashionable term that people like to throw out. It really is a thing. And so when you own your own, the accountability and, and you stay the course, which is what the goats doing, we're, yeah, we're a premium product. We're probably a little more expensive than everything else you can buy. But what you're eating is not it, – it's nutritionally far superior than everything else you can buy commercially. Um, you know, and there's something to be said for that. And unfortunately, I guess we're marketing to a specific uh, – I don't want to say demographic. I guess we're targeting our sales towards a specific market is what I should say. Um, look. You know, you could go and buy an economy car, brand new economy car for X dollars, right? Or you could understand the quality of an item you're purchasing and go buy a handcrafted Kinoseg or, you know, Ferrari, Lamborghini, you know, and, and I don't want to say that our beef jerky is that. I'm just trying to put it in perspective, right? Like there's... There's certainly people out there that have an understanding of quality versus, um, well, I guess I was going to say quality versus value, but those, those two things are hand in hand, I guess. Quality versus price is what I value versus price. Um, and you know, and, and we hope that we're, we're in discussion with, you know, different, dare I say manufacturers or whatever. And 
hope to be um, certified gluten-free, certified organic, you know, all of these things, which are, they're important to a small percentage of the population right now. But as, as negative as social media is, it's a positive in the way of people's well-being because through social media, it's, it's like a direct to consumer, um, source of information. A lot of it's bullshit, which we all know, (laughs) but a good amount of it is industry specific and people are through social media, more and more people are understanding that your regular food off the shelf, that's a dollar fifty, two bucks cheaper than a different brand is not good for you. Yeah. Is this specifically, is this even beef? Is it like, is this, is this really a sliced piece of, I, I can go to the, the, butcher store and buy a cut of beef that's still a piece of muscle that was cut off of this animal is that what i'm eating inside of this bag or is this something that was fractionally a piece of uh, <laughs> muscle that's been since ground up and turned into this slurry of chemicals and ingredients and formed and pressed into something that looks like a piece of beef and the wording um, on the packaging is what I understand is called gray advertising (laughs) is is, that's where we are now gray advertising has become legal they're like they allude to what this might be but you know there's you got to really kind of dig into it to find out if that's what it really is and we're uh legally not bound to the way you interpret what we put on our packaging <laughs> i know and i'm i'm actually really glad that the usda and in the fda in the united states are making greater strides to actually make sure that the claims that are on packaging are are there or on the label but the label is different than what's on the front of the package which i always find interesting um you know you can sort of go into that gray area there i mean we're fortunate in our company our regulatory compliance manager who we've done three educational episodes on this podcast her name's lisa harris she's very um dedicated to making sure we follow the rules to the T and we do the right thing for the consumers. Um, I often am like, you know, and we joke around, uh, who do you work for? The consumers are for food service partners. But the reality (laughs) is, is when we do work, when she does work for the consumers and puts them first, she is working for food service partners, you know, and that's where we've lost it. Everyone's working for the dollar. Everyone thinks they're working for their company. No, we need to change that mindset. It's we need to work for the customers. We want to give them the best product. And I'm going to use your beef jerk. You want to give them the best flavor profile, the highest quality beef that you can within reason. And you want to give them the healthiest version of that product you can because it matters. And I really want to emphasize this because I talked a little bit about how much we're willing to spend on our children. And I do believe spending a little extra money on higher quality food is important, even beef jerky. 
but here's what it comes down to is the more we demand it, the more we get the organics, the, the grass feds, the pasture raised things. And we actually buy them with our wallets and everyone starts doing that. The lower that price this is going to get because these farms that are doing it in different ways are going to have no choice, but to switch over. And yes, as a more expensive endeavor right now, absolutely. But you know, we want healthier, more nutrition solutions, and we want people to eat more fruits and vegetables in, you know, communities and in urban areas and whatever you want. We've got to start demanding it ourselves to help lower those prices so they can afford it. It's not let's throw money at it and do a welfare program. No, let's speak with the things we can do every day to benefit from it. And that's real. And here's an example. I mean, you're talking about social media and being bad. One is I'm pretty sure the internet was mostly built around pornography at first. But <laughs> what Thanks. it's done is is monumental. Okay. What does indoor farming look like? Well, it was pretty much built around marijuana. Um, and all the advancements have been because of marijuana. Now we're able to do indoor farming at a much more reasonable price. Why? Because... The demand to build these indoor farms for marijuana drove down prices. It's the same thing. You you know you can argue whether organic's a marketing word or not. Uh, you know, and I don't always eat organic. I, I try to do it as much as I can uh, where it's available. And I'm moving more and more in that direction because I understand the difference in the way that I feel that I've cleaned up my diet. But really, if you wanted to take a step in a direction you want to just have a cleaner label. And I think that that's where we're going. And certain foods aren't going to have that because you need shelf life for safety of the consumer. But the cleaner, the more easier to read, the less items on a label, you know, I think is better. And your beef jerky is that. I literally the other day, because we are giving away beef jerky, everyone, a shit ton of it. I have a box setting right here. But I compared your label to the other beef jerky labels and like there was one company, I'm not kidding, it must have been seven times. It covered the whole package on the ingredients. It was insane. And I can't even pronounce any of them. It's like chemistry (laughs) that I got a freaking C plus in back in high school. And there's a reason because I can't pronounce any of those words, let alone memorize them. And I've been in the food business a long time. And if you can't pronounce the food, you probably shouldn't be eating it. You know, that's what it comes down to. I mean, that's one of the best things I ever learned in the food business. You know, there's a reason food's pretty easy to say, apple, banana, whatever. We can learn it as kids. <laughs> but then you get into like dioxicide, monocaldrate, potassium, benzoid or whatever, and I'm making that up. But you're like, what? I don't know a single one of those things, where it comes from, how it's made. Is it natural? Is it unnatural? And so it makes it hard. So the basics, I mean, really are just back to what we're talking about is how do we as consumers write the ship? Well, we speak through our wallets like anything else. And, you know, I'm not saying buy a more expensive item, just buy a cleaner item, you know, and that's a start right there, you know, and you want better food in our schools and you want better food in the environment. and, And you see it, fast food's changing also. It's not an abrupt change, but they're starting to inch that line into to to healthier food. You know, you know, and you they can have to. yeah. And you go to Chick Fil A, you're you can get a salad with chicken, and you can get grilled chicken bites, and you know you can argue about what oil they're cooking it in, or whatever, or what they're using, or whatever. But the reality is, is it's a huge step 
away from, you know, the traditional chicken fried sandwich. Well, you know, and I love fried chicken. So that's my, my downfall in life right there. But you know, it's, you know, okay. Gluten-free, like you said, that's important. You know, that, you know, do we consume too much gluten? Arguably, I don't know, but in my opinion, I cut gluten out of my diet completely. And now I only need about five to six hours of sleep a night versus the eight to nine I needed before. It makes me a more productive human. It gives me more time with my family you know, things like that. So, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things where time will tell. Yeah. It, it, to be honest with you, Justin, it, it, when we'll just throw out the golden arches fast food company, when they, when they start with maybe not even specifically them, when major corporations are starting to slowly uh, on a micro scale, start introducing um, op- food options that are like you said, organic or natural or, you know, things of like that, that you're, and even on their discount menus, when, when they're, when those items start being introduced, if you're not, savvy enough to see that that's the direction everything is headed then you're you know you're doomed really i mean uh, i don't mind go ahead and saying that other beef jerky companies out there that are not they don't have their head on a swivel if i can use a baseball um yeah <laughs> term then they're they're gonna be behind they're going to be behind the, the curve. You know, I'm fine with, um, doing what I got to do to get by for now, knowing that, you know, it's expensive for us. It's extremely expensive because the direction we've gone is not, it's not mainstream at the moment, but I feel like it's headed in that direction. So we can either stick with what, I mean, that's how we started. We're not conforming to what I see as what's coming. That's just who we've been all along, and I'm staying true to it. But fortunately for us, I feel like the U.S. food industry as a whole is headed back towards, okay, we see that we're kind of killing our <laughs> – we're killing our, our the people of our nation. Um, you know, and that we could do like 10 different podcasts on things that are somewhat conspiracy based. Uh, I mean, pharmaceutical companies, uh, in my opinion, they're, they're, they're a good part of why things have not changed for so long with the information that's available right now and has been available for a long time. It just hasn't been publicized. I mean, we're our food, the, the food in the U S is for the most part, terrible nutritionally. And that's because it's, you know, you cut corners that are technically legal and those corners that you cut generate margin and when you know you, the more margin you generate the more profit you have the profit you have is dollars you spend towards advertising and marketing and 
I hate to say it, but even payoffs, like the, these things are real. Like you, you lobbyists should not exist in my opinion. Like you, you get a person that's been paid a good amount of money to lobby for a certain law or whatever else. And now all of a sudden foods that have cancer causing agents in them are allowed to be manufactured and produced because this person was a really savvy, smooth talker and got something passed that shouldn't have been passed. And now all of a sudden, you know, we've got years of corporate profits, if you will, on levels that most people don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. I sound like a crazy person right now, but (laughs) no. And I agree. I mean, I think you want to make money. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to make money, but it's still about doing the fucking right thing. You know, and it's still, you got to be able to sleep at night. And if you can make a decision that says, you know, if you're the decision you make somehow down the line and it's a trickle down effect, you know that there's a chance it's going to kill a human being. And man, shit, how the hell are you allowed to, (laughs) you know, it it sucks because you shouldn't be allowed to make that decision. You just hope that people wouldn't make that decision. But if they do make that, you hope that there's enough checks and balances in place that they're not allowed to make that decision. But that's that's not the way it go. That's not the way it works. And that's why, you know, all along, I'm I have been anti-social media since, <laughs> you know, when if Facebook first came out, I was like, cool, I'll get a Facebook. I can connect with all old friends and then you see the progression of things and you're like, Oh, this is, I don't like this. And I don't like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, specifically my wife and I, we, we decided to uh, have a, have a baby and, you know, we were successful with that decision. And then, you know, our son is born. And then the next thing, you know, we've got people we don't even know posting things about our son that, you know, I didn't tell you you could do that. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, and they weren't negative things, but it just in general, you don't want to, you get an alert on your phone. You're like, golly, you got to turn, clear this alert. And you look, you're like, whoa, that's, that post is about my son. Uh, who the hell are you? <laughs> and, and why did you post that without asking me? He's not 18. So it's absolutely, you know, you know, and that that's kind of that has been my disdain for social media is that it, you know, people put things out there that are just they don't consider the consequence of the things that they post. It's self gratification at the moment, at the time, and oh, that, absolutely. And that's you know, you, human beings are emotional creatures, and you go and. <laughs> we feel differently about things on a day-to-day basis. I'm not a sociopath. At least I don't think I am. So I I feel something about, feel one way about something one day, just because of what I'm going through. And the next day I might not be going through as much stressful things and be like, you know, I'm, I probably overreacted to that. And I've got it, had a chance to step back and think about it differently. Dichotomy of life right there. Yeah. And so, 
like I said, I, I, I have been against social media. Now I own my own company, my own business, and we utilize that social media to help people know about our, or to help ourselves to tell people about our brand and, Hey, come buy our stuff. It's, we're not saying anything bad about the other guys. Just try us and you decide for yourself type thing. So isn't it funny? Now the shoe's on the other foot. I don't, I mean, I still dislike social media on a personal level. My company benefits from it, but for me personal, I go through, go ahead and go through my social media. You'll see a limited amount of, of personal things on my social media. I just don't want to share stuff. That's, precious to me and my family yeah (laughs) well i think that um something that i've that's really like i had this light bulb go off about two weeks ago and i have the same dichotomy i got work that i want to use it for and i'm not i haven't really jumped into it for work yet and i'm have my personal account which i use a lot but then i'm like how much am i oversharing and then it sort of dawned on me, if I'm going to do it, I might as well jump fully into it with the businesses, with myself. But if I'm not posting something that helps someone else on social media or that tries to make the world a better place and it's all about self-gratitude, then I'm not doing anyone any good, including myself, because really it's a freaking temporary self-gratitude thing and it's ridiculous. Yep. So if I'm not putting it out there in order to to gauge my message. It may be about me, but how can I speak about it, help other people in business, help other people I know, even my own stepdaughters, you know, that, that may or may not read it. How can I put a message out there that helps everyone? And now if we look at it that way, and not everyone's going to, like, you know, people, a lot of people don't have that self-awareness as we talked about earlier, but it's, how can I use this platform to benefit me, to benefit my businesses, but really, which is the selfish way, or how can I use selflessness and try to benefit everyone, including the people within my company or the employees and coworkers that I have, that they may read it also. So I think that's part of it. And Jay, I want to just, I'd like to do a part three. Maybe we could record again this afternoon if that's cool with you or tomorrow um, because we're at like an hour and a half and I want to just sort of move on and have another meeting and everyone's going to hear this on the podcast. But I want to continue the topic because we didn't even get into leadership and, and working with a spouse, which I think I really want to talk about in our next podcast. Um, this Is that possibly work for you? Oh, 100%, man. I cleared out uh, my whole day. I, I enjoy talking with you, Justin. You're a pragmatic thinker. Um, you know, like you said, self gratification, momentary self gratification is, is a terrible thing. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk more about everything that you want to talk about because there's, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know exactly how many listeners and followers you have, but if, if you can reach, you know, a, half a percent of our nation's population that's and influence them in a positive way we've we've done a good thing right yeah okay. i agree 100 percent. so yeah i'm i'm happy to i'm happy to talk to you anytime about anything well, I mean, and so here's what i'm going to do if they want to reach out to you at the goat it's at the goat beef jerky co on instagram and facebook it's pretty that's g-o-a-t like the goat, the animal, but it stands for greatest of all time. 
but we're going to just release a part three right after this episode. So anyone will record it this afternoon, um, my time. I'll release it this afternoon. And so you guys are going to get part two and part three in the same day uh, for the audience. So I don't feel any need to sort of say, you know, the whole outro thing that we do. So I'm just going to say thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, JR. And I'll be back on with you guys shortly. That's great. Thanks everybody for listening. Hope you tune back in for the second part because I got a whole whole another mouthful of things I'd like to say to Justin. <laughs> <laughs>